Well, over the past few weeks, we've been working through a series we've entitled Building Godly Families. This is the fourth of five messages planned for that series. And when we began the series, we talked uh, about Joshua's story, uh, especially at the end of his life as he gathered God's people back together uh, at Shechem and uh, called them to a renewal, to a commitment, not, not to finally follow God, but to continue to follow God, to be committed to that. And in that passage uh, is the uh, oft-quoted uh, verse, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I believe that's the beginning of building a godly family. We've got to make a decision that we want to be godly, that we want God in the middle of everything we do. Then for the last three weeks, including today, we have been in Ephesians chapter 6. And we talked first to the men about the need to be men who live transformationally, who live generously, and who live wholeheartedly unto the Lord. Uh, because they were dealing with a culture, Paul was, in writing to the Ephesians. And I, I think that the letter to Ephesus was probably a circular letter written not just to one church, but written to all the churches. The ones you see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 churches of revelation that group of churches because they lived in a culture that was so utterly pagan and so utterly awful that when they came to christ they just didn't know how to live godly lives and so paul writes them and gives them a lot of different instructions and some of these are ones we're looking at here about men and about women and about children and he talked to women we talked about the last week about the the ladies Uh, he called them to live exclusively to their spouse to live cooperatively with their husband and to live a life of reverence. Now we come to the natural outcome of many marriages, children. Children are fun, aren't they? Some of you go, yeah, they're fun. They're a challenge sometimes, aren't they? Amen, yeah. But they're a blessing at the same time. And Paul was writing into this culture where, as we talked, women were often treated as servants But they had a better role than kids. Kids were often treated as slaves. They were just property that you could just toss around and you didn't really care much for. And so he's writing to this church and these churches some radical thinking. And so we we don't see it necessarily as radical in our day because we've been blessed with, with this as a culture. But the thoughts that are here are definitely outside of what they would have experienced in their culture. So I invite you to look at Ephesians chapter 6 with me, just four verses. We're talking about building godly families, but here we're going to look at the children and the importance of building the kids and getting them to where they need to be. So look at Ephesians Ephesians 6, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, you would help us to see what you wrote through Paul's hand for us. And that, Father, we would hear your word through this, and we'd be open to what you're teaching us through this. God, we invite your spirit to intercede on our behalf, to communicate your truths to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, four things I want you to see about building godly children. The first one I want you to notice, and I'm going to be back up a step, and if you've got a bulletin in front of you, you're noticing that all the outline is pretty similar. Godly children catch blank. 
Well, not, not, not grief, not discipline, but they catch something. And I, I wrote it this way on purpose because I want you to grasp the reality that, that children more often catch what we're giving than they hear what we're teaching. And they, they're, they're, they're sponges that pick up from our lives and from our actions and our choices and our directions way more than they hear our words sometimes. And I want you to see that because I think that is key to building kids that, that God can use in, in an honorable way. So the first one I want you to notice is right there in verse 1 is that godly children catch obedience. They catch obedience. What does that mean? Now, he speaks the word to the children. He says, you've you got a responsibility. Obey your parents. And he uses a word that's a very strong Greek word that's translated here as obey. But it carries the idea of learning to listen, learning to hearken to, learning to answer them. And, and driving the thought is a principle that we need to grasp, as I've already talked about. It's the importance of the impact, not just of the words, but how we speak. The catching versus the teaching. The importance of the actions spent on the actions of the parents as much as the child. And I think the big idea that's in this passage is that the actions of the parents will agree with the actions and the words being spoken. In other words, let me say it this way. There's not a lot of room in this passage for a do as I say, not as I do kind of thinking. You know, we want our kids to turn out well, right? We want our t- kids to grow up to be good folks. We want them to be honorable. We want them to as Christians, to be what? Godly, right? But we say, well, I'm not really good at it, but you need to figure it out. There's no room for that here. What Paul's talking about is children consciously choosing obedience over rebellion. Why? Because their parents have chosen obedience over rebellion. They've modeled it for them. Now, that's not to say a pagan kid can't obey their parents, and they can and do. But the motivation to do is very different from what a Christian family, a Christian parent will bring them of loving obedience. We need to keep in mind that Paul is not giving this instruction to a person, for a person who rejected Christ, but those who have accepted Christ. Ephesus is written to Christians, first and foremost. So the motivation to obey by the child is transformed by the action. So this leads me to this first thought. Godly parents consciously model obedience to God. Godly parents say this, I'm going to live my life in such a way that I'm going to be in obedience to God and to his truth and his words primarily because God calls me to, but I also understand that it's going to impact who? The kids in my house. You're thinking, this is a different Mother's Day message. Well, it's talking to all of us as parents, and I think that's the point I want you to catch. There's still no room here for do as I say instead of as I do. The burden to instill the lives in the lives of the children obedience falls on who? On parents. Do kids need to obey? Absolutely. Will they obey if we don't model it for them? Maybe, but maybe not. You know, that used to be a common belief in our country is that, uh, that we would have a, 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 a truth in our lives that we would have obedience to parents and parents would model that obedience. But somewhere we've bought this lie, this, this radical agenda that says, well, parents, we don't have to live right, but the kids need to live a good life. Folks, God's word is real clear on this. <laughs> let, me, let me give you, I'm going to share a secret with you this morning. I know you all are going to be shocked when I tell you this, but I struggle with my weight. Shock. Yeah, it's not a shock. You know I do. I love to eat. My mama taught me well, okay? 
She said, clear that plate, boy. If it's on there, eat it. I said, yes, ma'am. Not that it took a whole lot of arm twisting to get that done, but you know what I'm saying. We'll give her credit. But I want you to know, over the years, I'll go to doctors. You know, our friends in the white coats love them to death. Don't misunderstand. You know, when you walk into a doctor's office, you know the first thing they make you do? Get on a scale. I went to the doctor one day and it said, one at a time, please. But anyway, <laughs> then they write all that down, or now they put it in a computer and the, comp- the doctor will look at it. And then they'll have a conversation with you about your health needs. Have you, have you, you remember this conversation, you know? And they'll say, well, Mr. Hunter, uh, you, uh, you seem to have picked up a little weight from last year. Yeah, I said, I found it. it joined me along the way. It kept coming. Anyway. And they say, well, you know, we really need to work on that a little bit this, this next year. We need to get that down some. And I said, okay. But let me tell you something. I've, I've gone to doctors who, who are um, full-figure guys. Let's just put it that way. And they cross their arms on top of their gut, you know what I'm saying, and tell me that I need to lose some weight. And I've got to tell you, that's a hard role model to listen to at that point, isn't it? You go, well, buddy, let's go on it together. If you want me on a diet, let's join me. Come on. But you go to a doctor that's a little skinnier, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, you, you, can, you can also get upset with them and say, well, it's so easy for you. If you're so No, the reality is it's easier to hear from them, isn't it? Because they've at least trying, it seems like. That's what I want you to catch here, moms and dads, parents. As we ask our children to obey God, as we ask them to live godly lives, if we ask them to live the guy, a life centered on Christ, Doggone it, we better be doing it ourselves. Because if we're not doing it, we're saying, well, don't do what I'm doing, do what I'm telling you to do. And they're going to have a hard time catching that. They're going to catch something exact opposite. In fact, the, the writer of Proverbs says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The call here is to be people who are bringing wisdom to our kids' life. And if we want obedient children, we want honorable children, we want godly children, let me tell you where it starts. Right here with us. If we're not doing it, we're going to be lucky if we get it. Second thing that children catch is this, respect. Paul, being the Jewish-raised fellow that he is, brings to the table here the fifth commandment. He says this. He quotes this. In modern translations, it's usually in in parentheses. Or in quotes, excuse me. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, if you're going to add to obedience anything, you want to add respect. And that's what Paul wants to bring to the table. He says, I want you to catch without, uh, we need to have not just obedience, but we need to have respect. You know, you can have obedience without respect. I can obey and not respect. I did it to my mom and dad many a time. I would obey, but I didn't respect what they were asking me to do because that's not what I wanted to do. You know, with me? But the difference is here. Paul is coming from a Jewish background. Now, the Jews look at the Ten Commandments a little different than we do. They tend to look at the the, the Ten Commandments as as two halves, two fives. We tend to look at it as a six and a four. Now you're going, what do you mean by that? It's not a number thing. It's just the way they divide it. In the, in the, the, the Ten Commandments, the first five, the, what, let me rephrase that. The way we tend to look at it, the first four are vertical. We look at this is our relationship with God, and then the other six are horizontal, not the Jews. They see the fifth commandment 
as relating directly to their connection to God. The fifth commandment, by the way, is honor your father and mother. They see it as this. If we're going to honor God, we have to do it by honoring our parents and having this relationship of respect built in. When the people were leaving Egypt and headed to the promised land, they were given ten commands. These were guiding principles for life. And the way of living was a conscious choice to live under the Lord that impacted every single aspect of life. So when Paul quotes the fifth commandment, he understands it as a positive relationship between moms and dads and God. With the children in the middle of it. Have you ever noticed that you don't have to teach kids to disrespect but you often have to teach them what? How to respect. Kids catch from their fallen nature disrespectfulness. You don't have to teach them. You don't have to teach them how to say no. You don't have to teach them how to steal. You don't have to tell them how to lie. You don't have to teach them any of that stuff. They get that stuff from their nature. Oh, by the way, we all got that, right? But somewhere along the way, something has to happen. Something has to be changed. Something has to be transformed. And so they have to catch this respect from parents because there really isn't anybody else to bring it into their table into their lives, to the table of their lives. The benefits of living respect are immense. As respect for parents is caught, individuals learn to live at peace, and their peace is found. So what do we do with this? Here's my thought. Godly parents model parental respect. How many kids have chosen the path of rebellion, of hostility toward their parents? You know, in many cases, that attitude was caught in the home where they grew up. They watched their parents. They listened to their parents. They saw their attitudes towards others, towards authority figures in life, towards responsible characters in the community. And they look at their lives and they say, hmm, they don't have that. Or they do have that. You know, study after study confirms the important role of parents in so many areas of life, including learning respect. You know, a child who has a steady stream of negativity, moms and dads tearing each other down, belittling one another, speaking ill of those around them, speaking ill of authority figures in life, will often pick up that in their lives, incorporating that. Proverbs 22.6 gives us a word here. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he won't depart from it. Folks, we... We have a responsibility to be parents who instill these kind of values, these kind of respectfulness, this kind of attitude in their lives. I remember almost 21 years ago, my wife had just delivered a baby girl, and I got to hold her in my hands. And I thought to myself, oh my, what have we done? You know, how are we going to instill in her godliness and honorable life? How are we going to bring her along to a place where she can one day trust Christ? In fact, as I held her that, that afternoon, that late afternoon, early evening, I prayed, literally prayed there in the delivery room for the doctor and for the nurses and all the people. But I also prayed for that little girl to one day trust Christ and that we would be the responsible ones to do that and to bring her along. That's our job, parents, to model that respect. So we're called to help them catch obedience, to help them catch respect, to help them catch calmness. 
Now, what does that mean? They've got to be level all the time and they can't talk loudly? No, that's not the point. That's not what we're talking about. But what he does say in verse 4 is this. Fathers, and I think by implication, moms, y'all are included here because it's a team effort. We talked about that last week. We don't do this by ourselves. Moms don't, don't do it by themselves. Dads don't do it by themselves. We're a team, right? That's an effort we're supposed to have. That's the ideal. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. He turns explicitly to the dads, I think implicitly to the mothers. He doesn't leave you out, ladies. It's included here. But Paul is recognizing the godly aspirations of men that we looked at a few verses before, of transformation, generosity, and wholeheartedness. Because a dad can make or break a family if his decisions are not good here. And his word for dads is straightforward. Do not provoke your kids to anger. The word he uses in the Greek is a word called perorogizo. Um kind of a mouth, a tongue twister when you get going on it. But anyway, it carries not just the idea of anger, but the idea of exasperation. You know, kids can be exasperating at times, right? Did you know parents can be exasperating too? Yeah. That's who he's talking to here. He's saying, dads, moms, don't do this. Don't push the kids' buttons. You know, if, if, you, if you've been married any length of time at all, you know how to push each other's buttons, right? You know what to say if you want to set her off, guys. And you know what to say or do, ladies, to make him ticked. You with me? That's life. But you know what? Our kids have got those same buttons. And God's word here through Paul to us, fathers, and I think mothers by implication, is don't push the buttons. There's a line between having fun with the kids and driving them to the point of frustration. Dads can do it. Moms can too. So the path forward here is to be people who don't stir up exasperation but work to bring about a sense of calmness, of of levelness in their lives, that they can understand that God is right there with them. We can do it verbally. There's also a layer of conduct that can mess that up. So what is that thought here? Here's my big thought. Godly parents refuse to let anger lead. You ever get angry? let's all be honest here we all do right we all struggle with anger from time to time and those of you who are parents you understand that your kids can exasperate you their words, their actions, their choices can drive us just about plumb crazy but we can push their buttons too if we're not careful let me ask you this moms and dads who's the adult who's the child Who has the greater experience in life? Who has hopefully walked with Jesus longer and able to bring that to the table? I I suspect in the moments of conflict, a lot of parental influence is either built up or torn down in those moments. Because what we do and what we say in those moments affects the direction of our kids. Let me draw your attention to the words again in Proverbs. Proverbs 15. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. When faced with those moments, we can either turn our superior experience against our kids or we can allow God's grace to flow through us again. Oh, speak the truth, but do it with grace and compassion and bring a sense of calmness so our kids can experience God's grace in that. So the kids will catch obedience from godly As godly children, they'll catch respect from us. They hopefully catch calmness. And then they ultimately will catch our values. Hmm. 
There's a word for us right at the end of verse 4. Look at it with me. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, those two words are, are pretty powerful little Greek words. I won't go into the Greek today, but I want you to understand what the thought here is. The word that's translated discipline carries the idea of training a child to full maturity, to go from being a helpless baby in your hand to being a productive member of society. That, that, that's, a, that's a job. That's a tall order, isn't it? You think, man, God entrusted me not with one, not me and me, but me and Heather with not just one, but three of those things to work on, you know? You with me? It's not easy stuff. He says, but discipline is the idea of bringing them to maturity. Instruction is the, the idea of changing their way of thinking from pagan, rebellious to God to submitted and holy unto the Lord. So when you bring all that together, here's what happens. You bring the importance of of leading children from immaturity to maturity and working to transform their thinking from natural to supernatural. Let me say that one more time. You bring them the importance of leading your children from immaturity to maturity and transforming their thinking from natural to supernatural. How do you do that? Through the values we instill. And the values they catch. Let me remind you that every one of us is born not with a heart for God, but a heart against God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. There's none that does righteous, no, not one. Not a one of us has a heart that says, I was born, I'm so committed to God from day one. No, we weren't. We have to be brought to the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our hearts are set away from him. And part of the responsibility of parents, listen, is to instill those values in them. They're not born with them. They've got to learn it. They've got to catch it along the way. And as parents, we have a responsibility to honor and lead our kids away from pagan thinking to holy thinking. To have the values of God. Let me give you one more thought here. Godly parents actively seek to instill godly values. You know... Godly parenting is an active sport. It's not a passive one. You don't just sit around and hope it happens. It won't. We've got to step in, moms, dads, and be those ones who bring the values to the table, that bring the things to them. You know, you may uh, remember uh, Ronald Reagan. He said this. He said, freedom is never more than one generation from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we'll spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was like in the United States when men were free. I think the same is true of Christian values. It is our job, moms and dads, to instill those values. It is our job to teach them the ways of God, to teach them ways of the Lord. You know, in fact, you all know I kind of like history, Um, so bear with me for just a second. But if you look back in the Old Testament, what you find is a story of redemption, which is amazing. Don't misunderstand. But here's what happens. God will come to his people. He will call them through a a person or people to draw them into a closer relationship with God. They'll get serious about God. They'll get serious about the things of God. And for a generation, things look pretty good. And then the next generation is not quite there. And the next generation gets even further away. And things become more and more pagan. And then God has to do what? Break in again and draw people back to himself. They get serious about God. 
committed to the ways of the Lord, and then began to fade away again. There's something about us as humans that we can't seem to figure out how to stay on track sometimes. This has happened in modern Christian history as well. You're looking in the 1600s, 1700s in our country, you would have to have revivals, renewals again and again and again. Why? Because God's people would begin to waver in the values of God and the things of God and not instill in their children the values of God. I remember studying about the Puritans. You may have heard of those folks. They came over for religious reasons, to get away from the Church of England. And they came to a place called now called Boston in Massachusetts Colony, and they set up a utopia of Christian belief. Everyone was committed. Within a generation, they were having to modify how you became part of the church. They did a thing called a halfway covenant. You were a halfway member trying to keep their kids somehow connected to the things of God. How quickly our values begin to fade if we don't instill those in our homes, in our children from the beginning. Folks, we have a responsibility as parents. And if we don't show them that connection between our values and our actions, our kids are going to see right through us. You know, they, they, they live with us. They see who we are. And they see when a child lives one way at church and a different way at home, and they understand what hypocrisy is, even if they don't know what the word means. And they'll see a disconnect between profession of faith and a reality. And so many will turn away from God. You know, we've been talking about building a godly family for the past few weeks, and it starts with that decision to follow Jesus. Then it develops as godly men aspire to a high calling. Godly women shoot for a life of God. But we must never forget the next generation needs parents who are role models for their kids, who show them the grace of Jesus and the mercy of Christ and the presence of the Spirit of God moving in them. And where does that begin? It starts with a relationship with God. Let me turn to the Proverbs one more time. Proverbs 19 says this, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Every dollar on planet earth is never going to match up to a relationship with God. Our kids need us. Our culture needs us. To be those people. So let me ask you this. Have you come to the place where you know Christ? Have you met him? Have you trusted him? If you haven't, that's the place to start, moms and dads. And if you have, maybe it's time to renew your covenant with the Lord. And say, God, I want you to be center stage. I want you to be number one in everything I do. Will you arrive in perfection right away? Of course not. But God can move you in the right direction if you'll let him. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house, to hear the kids play today, to gather for a day that we in our culture call Mother's Day and be reminded of the blessing of moms. But Father, I pray that we would hear from this word from Ephesians 6 about how as parents, as moms, as dads, our children are going to catch a lot from us. 
how we speak, how we speak to each other, how we talk about those around us, how we reflect respect for those in authority in our culture. God, we pray that we would be the people who reflect your presence and your grace. We pray your hand on these next few moments. As some might need to respond, we ask that you'd give them the faith to do that. Others who need to just make a renewal commitment to you right now where they sit, that you'd bless them with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to invite you to stand. uh, And uh, if you need to come forward, we're here for you. But let's stand together and sing this song.